This podcast is brought to you by Maury Zelkovich, the founder of The Maury Method. Please listen to podcast number 720, where Maury and Greg speak about the benefits of brainwave entrainment. Maury is the founder of The Maury Method, in which he has developed specially designed audio recordings that will assist users with issues of depression, confidence, abundance, and many other elements of our lives that we would like to improve and or eliminate. Please listen to podcast number 720, where in this informative and fascinating interview with Maury Zelkovich, the founder of The Maury Method, you will learn how to resolve your issues with brainwave entrainment. For more information about Maury's products and services, please visit www.themorrymethod.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Jeffrey, as I do every time I come on these shows, I thank the listeners because without them, there'd be no Inside Personal Growth. There'd be no authors coming on here. So we thank all of them who come from around the world to listen to your words of wisdom. And today we have Jeffrey Gittimer on and Jeffrey is joining us from, is it Philadelphia? Is that where you are, Jeff? Well, well, that's where I grew up. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now where it's a little more civilized. Okay. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Jeffrey is going to be speaking with us today and I've created kind of a a, a triple play here uh, about his little red book of selling um, his other book called the little gold book of yes attitude and his newest book, the sales manifesto. And we will be kind of bouncing around between these books, asking Jeff's questions. Uh, but Jeff, what I'm going to let my listeners know is a little bit about you. If they go to your, if you go to his website, www.gitimer com and he is the king of sales most definitely you're going to find a timeline there and i'd recommend for all my people if you don't know much about jeffrey gittimer uh, obviously you should if you're in sales or you're in customer service or you're doing anything like that jeff started in 86 he began sales trailing he was born in 46 and he Then went from there, and in 94, he wrote his first book called The Sales Bible. Uh, He then, in 96, was published in 50 newspapers nationwide. Uh, In 98, wins the Customer Satisfaction Award. 2003, he comes along with The Sales Caffeine is Born, which you can subscribe to and get free insights from Jeffrey. Then the Little Red Book that we're going to be talking about, which has been a huge seller, number one overall at Amazon, uh, began to run a record of 103 consecutive weeks on the best-selling list. Uh, then in 2008, he publishes the Little Gold Book of Yes Attitude uh, and is elected to the Speaker's Hall of Fame. 2012, he passes the milestone with 2,000 customized seminars. And in 13, he then goes to his Certified Advisor Program, in 14, he launches, uh, he goes in partnership with Jennifer, who is now his significant other. And in 15, uh, Napoleon Hill Think and Grow Rich course. And it goes on and on and on. So, Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. You definitely are an icon in the industry and you provide what I call uh, very solid sales training. And let's kind of start with that. Um, I like to start with the Little Red Book of Selling. 
which you published in 2004. And then it came back out again, I'm sure, because it sold so many copies. And you state that why people buy is a thousand times more important than how do does someone sell. Um, what do you teach salespeople to better understand the why in their prospects' behavior? When you go in, I'll give you a couple of examples. If you're going to buy a home, which is could be a half a million dollar purchase or in California, couple million um, or if you go to buy a car you don't want to get sold a house and you don't want to get sold a car you want to buy what you want to buy it's most likely you've done online research it's most likely you have a working knowledge of what it is that you're really hoping for or looking for and the salesperson like a jerk is trying to qualify you like I don't need to be qualified I just want a freaking house so if I go to a real estate, for example, the real estate guy will say, do you have a mortgage right now? Well, yeah. Well, have you ever missed a payment? Well, none of your business. Well, I'm just trying to help you. No, you're trying to qualify me. Why don't you just ask me about the house I'm hoping for? And, you know, well, I don't want to waste your time. No, no, no. You're not wanting to waste your time. So salespeople will lie and salespeople will ask stupid things and then wonder why they get chastised or blame the other person. And in so the process, thought, in the process, what you just said offended me. So, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So you've alienated like, the client right off the bat by offending them, by asking them stupid in questions. Two seconds. So, yeah. so think about it this way. You go to buy a car, which many people are going to buy. You've already done extensive online research. You probably even know the color you're hoping for. And the salesperson comes up to me or you and says, are you looking for a new car today? Did you want to lease or buy today? Do you have a trade in today? What's your budget today? If it wasn't for the word today, they couldn't talk. <laughs> and so you as a customer pull a little piece of paper out of your pocket and say, this is the car I want. This is how much money I want to pay. Please take this piece of paper to your daddy and see if it's okay to do the deal. So if there's that much of a gap, Jeff, between uh, the salesperson's intuition, the salesperson's sales training, why aren't you finding more and more organizations that are elevating the consciousness and the ability of these salespeople to meet people where they are? Well, I will tell you this, and this is probably the unfortunate part of the deal. Companies have a choice to either train salespeople or get rid of them. And the get rid of them part, let's look at the drug industry, for example. They've laid off most all of their sales teams and just go with some direct response thing through a newspaper or, a, or an online thing and hope the doctor prescribes. They've eliminated right. their salespeople. Look what the insurance companies have done with online selling. Mm -hmm. You have a yeah. new sales guy at Amazon, or you just go on and click a click a button. Well, and it's not you, just it's not just property and casualty insurance, auto homeowners. It's life insurance. It's health insurance. It's everything. It's everything. Well, but AI, artificial intelligence, is got to understand these machines have gotten more and more intelligent about the consumer and are able to tag that. And that's what these companies are doing, right? 
Yeah, I think that there is definitely a correlation between um, salespeople stupidity and salespeople replacement. <laughs> Why would you continue to piss off customers? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, look at look at Zillow to try to get into the real estate business. Look at um, any any online sales agency. You can now go in and buy million dollar homes without ever seeing a sales guy. Right. You can get loans that way too. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. In a heartbeat. So the, the world is progressing, unfortunately against the salesperson. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the car industry hasn't got there yet, but look what Tesla is doing. They've done billions of dollars online without ever seeing a human being. And the unreason, the, un, the unfortunate thing is that companies like Chevy and Ford, they have contracts with their dealers where they can't do that. But eventually, the Chevrolet people will put the buy now button in, and every sales car, every car sales guy will lose his job in about an hour. And you have to realize that the, that old way is not going to work anymore. Yes, there are things that are going to need salespeople forever. Um, retail sales is just as an example. I, I want somebody to show me the TV or the computer. I go to the Apple store. I want them to tell me what's involved. I want them to show me what it is. I need them to repair my, you know, I need a genius to repair my machine. Literally, it happens all the time. So there will be jobs. There will always be sales jobs. But the question is, why are you trying to eliminate yours by being a jackass? Why don't you just make friends with people? Right. And I think the key in, in any of these type of sales jobs, whether it's retail sales or it's car sales or whatever it is, is the ability of emotional intelligence. Because when you compare and contrast it to just the actual volume that Amazon is running every year at around $20 billion in sales, and you look at how those packages are being put together, you're looking at robots and automation now taking over the computer, understanding what we want to purchase and what we want, and we get it delivered to the convenience scary. of our door, right? Yeah, it's scary. It's yeah. so good, it's scary. Yeah. Um, but keep in mind, they also have truck drivers that can't read. Right. So they deliver the package. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of flaws in but, the system. But, let, but, let but they are this. saying now, Jeffrey, that autonomous vehicles in five years, including those trucks, will be driving yeah. themselves too. So now you're oh, looking yeah. at an industry where, you know, you got truck drivers, you got retail salespeople you're not going to need. You got a lot of things that are shifting in our economy around sales. So you really, I guess the thing here is reinventing yourself, finding a way well, as a salesperson he, to reinvent yourself. Hang on a second, Greg. You don't have to reinvent yourself, but you do have to become more friendly, become more knowledgeable, mm -hmm. and become more valuable. If right. you're valuable, you're going to keep your job. If you're not valuable, you're not going to keep your job. I mean, I can just say that unequivocally. You're just going to lose. Well, you, you and mentioned... And if you're, if you're you, complaining, you're going to lose faster. Well, you state in the Little Red Book, that it's not just about how to make a sale, but how to make sales forever. So you right. go on to state that it must be read, read, and reread. Um, keep in mind, no. keep in mind the power of the little red book of selling. Right, is that 
it's all about why people buy. There's nothing in there about how to close. There's no email. There's no anything in there. That, that book has sold more than a million copies in America, was on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list 103 straight weeks, a record, and mm-hmm. has sold more than 5 million copies globally because it's easy to understand. It's fun to put into action. And, right. you know, you have no idea how many people have come up to me and said, you know, when I started my job, my day, first day out of college into my new, my boss handed me this red book and said, here, read this. And that's happened thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Sure it has. So there has to be something to it. There's nothing in there about the, the alternative of choice clothes or any sales bullshit that was preached 25 years ago. There's nothing in there about finding the pain, more sales bullshit. There's nothing there about, there's nothing in there about CRM. There's nothing in there. It's all about making friends, all things being equal. People want to do business with their friends. All things being not quite so equal, people still want to do business with their friends. Done. You want to make more sales? Make more friends. Well, I think simple is better. And both of these books are are simple. Now, each... Each time you've done this, you've used a, an 18.5, a 10.5, a 12.5, but you have 18.5 secrets of what you call sales success. Um, why don't you cover a few of those that what's in this little red book? You've taught this over 2000 times. This is certainly in your DNA. And it's something yeah. our listeners would, would really truly well, benefit look from. down the look down the list, Greg. Read me a couple that you think are interesting. Well, let me go open it up because I'm reading from the other thing. But uh-huh. I will hold on, hold uh-huh. on. Uh, let me get there. Hold on. Okay, uh, you have uh, you have 21.5 best places to network. Why don't we do that? That's actually good. Right. Chamber of Commerce, oh. high-level Chamber of Commerce events, any business journal, networking group, or business organization, somewhere like-minded people are beginning. Everybody has to network. So let's talk about that to maximize the effectiveness of networking. A lot of people hate networking, though, Jeff. So You know what, though? I, let me tell you something. If you... Go to Starbucks. And by the way, the Little Red Book was written way before Starbucks was ever a place to go network. Right. If, if you go to Starbucks in the morning, which a lot of people do, or go to any kind of coffee shop, just talk to the person in front of you and the person behind you. Right. It's network. That's networking. And if, when you realize how simple it is and how one-to-one it is, then the next step is very simple. Go where your customers go now. Ask your customer where he or she goes to network and say, hey, can I go with you the next time? Right. And now that is at an event with that the is customer to build a relationship. Five. For all of my listeners, that's principle number five in the book. So when you get the book, go to page 82 and you're going right. to find that one. Now, principle four, it's all about value. It's all about relationship. It's not all about price. So this is price and value. This is your concept on price and value. Talk about that a bit. When you go into a customer in today's world, most salespeople are equipped with what's known as a value prop. The single dumbest thing I've ever seen in sales, it's made by a marketing department that doesn't know jack shit about selling. 
and it has the word we in it. What's valuable to a customer that has the word we in it? No, it's all about the customer. So I challenge salespeople to walk in with a valuable idea, something that your customer can turn into money or something that they will benefit from or profit from or produce more from or have better morale from. That's something that a customer can latch on to. So value prop or valuable idea, which do you think is going to get you to the next level with that customer? Valuable idea. Of course. The CEO doesn't want to hear your stupid ass sales pitch or see your slides. Like you call a CEO and you say, Hey, can I uh, uh, come over and bore the shit out of you with my slide deck, please? Mm -hmm. No, they're no. But if you say to the CEO, Hey, listen, um, I've been studying your business and your customers. I got a couple ideas that I think you can turn into money. Can I come over tomorrow? Yeah. Come right over now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything where he can turn more ROI. And that leads me to principle six. If you can't get in front of the real decision maker, you suck. So, right. okay. So if the idea is the, the way that a salesperson could get in front of the decision maker, what are some of the other things that you would tell people today? Um, Cause you can't get your voicemail returned. You suck. Right. Uh, you, you know, right. you're, why are you, you bothering with that shit? It doesn't work. And it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me throw, let me throw something at you. How did you get me? I got through you. I got you through Napoleon Hill foundation. Right. Okay. Don so, green. Don right. green was the one who put us together. It was referral. Um, was it easy to get to me? It was easy to get to you once I used Don Green's name. Right, exactly. <laughs> but the bottom line is you had a referral. It wasn't a cold call. Correct. And the minute you use Don Green, you go, oh, like, I love Don Green. So whatever he says, I'll do. Right. Because there's trust. Now, let's look at the jackasses out in your listening audience that don't have their own podcast. Is your podcast set up very sophisticated, Greg? Right now, after 14 years, I'd say it's probably one of the most sophisticated ones out there. Okay. How did it start? It started by me grinding it out, trying to find people. My first interview was with Larry Wilson. Um, Oh, wow. I love Larry Wilson. And Larry became a good friend of mine and about five years ago, passed away, and he used to come to my house all the time. But then Larry referred me to other people, and it just parlayed, and it went from there. But he was the relationship-selling king. Yeah, no argument with that. Wilson Learning was huge in in its day. Yes, yes. Most people do not progress past its day. Yeah, no, Larry was a phenomenal person, a very sweet man and just a genuine great yep. friend. And then, yep. you know, I then I met Mike Bosworth and Bosworth was referred to me by someone. And then, you know, I've had a lot of people, let's say kind of like you who've been on the show, uh, but it started 14 years ago with Larry Wilson. So let me throw this at you for your listeners, okay? The podcast is not an expensive proposition to begin. You basically need a smartphone, 
better microphone, and if you want to be really sophisticated, turn on the video. Yes. Use Zoom US, which yeah. is the, the most stable video channel in the country, and start to talk to people and record right. it. Right. Do you think it's easier to get an appointment with a CEO to go over your boring freaking slides or to have them on your podcast to talk about their philosophy of leadership? It's definitely easier to get them on a podcast show because you, number one, you're allowing them to speak about themselves um, and for people to learn from them. Uh, the bigger challenge is, is what you do with it afterwards. How you, how I agree you with that, but let's talk about, let's talk about the single frustration right now. I can't get in front of a decision maker. Oh, you could use the podcast all day long and do interviews with Bingo. CEOs and you'd be great. Bingo. Yeah. In fact, the decision maker that the salespeople are whining about is usually a lower level decision maker than the CEO. Correct. If you can yeah. get on with the CEO, you can send a copy of your podcast down to the dumb, stupid decision maker that can't buy toilet paper without asking his daddy what color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So th right. think about, think about the power that exists right now, that even if you go interview that CEO to put him on your blog, even if you, there, there's so many things you can do now with the internet that create unbelievable sales opportunities that the average salesperson is too busy trying to decide, well, I got the guy's voicemail. Should I leave a message or not? No, you idiot. You talk to the person's admin, every one of them who's got power to decide has an admin, and you ask them if they'll be a guest on your podcast. Right. right. And so, but, but here's the deal. The salesperson doesn't want to do a podcast because it implies they got to do work. And they'd rather go home and drink a beer and watch a television show like a fucking idiot. Pardon my French. Versus, versus all the preparation that it takes to get ready for these podcasts and the time. Yeah. Uh, most people think, you know, you just pull it off impromptu. Well, no, you don't. Yeah. You read the book. You come up with questions. You're prepared. Uh, then you have to edit them. Then you have to get them out there. Then you have to promote them. You know, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff to this, and you know that. I mean, you have of your course. own podcast, we, so does Jennifer. Yeah, we, we're at 100,000 downloads a month now, pretty average. Uh, we're shooting for 250,000, hopefully by the end of this year, but it'll probably end up 150,000 this year and 250 next year. But we have content. We have great people on the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just did Jack Canfield. He was amazing. Mm -hmm. And but he's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. so yeah, Jack's like been on my show. Yeah, he's he's great. But, you know, the point is, is that you we started this with how I got to you. And I think the most important thing, when you look at the single contact with Don Green at Napoleon Hill, mm -hmm. look at your referral base. And I think a lot of, uh, we were talking about how to get through the door. Most uh, people are not asking even the people they know who they know who would give you right. a referral, right? That's, they're idiots. They send an email to your network right. and say, hey, do any of you know this guy? Right. Or, Listen, or, or do I, it through let LinkedIn. Me you, let, me, let me throw you something about uh, the world. In 1956, Oh, God. In 1967, 
I took a German class in Berlin to learn how to speak German because I was traveling around Europe. I wanted to learn another language. Mm-hmm. There were 11 kids in my class from, uh, from 11 different countries. So the common language was German, although some of the kids spoke English. And after class, we would hang out and speak English. It, it actually deterred my German learning, but it was still fun to make their acquaintance. And I had a couple of really good friends, one from Turkey. And fast forward, you ready for this? 40 years, I'm in, I'm in Istanbul giving a seminar. And I said, hey, does anybody in the audience know Balkan Pasiner? And somebody says, I know his brother. And so I reconnected with him by simply asking a question. Right. Which, and most salespeople want to give a pitch instead of asking a question. Well, and that and that leads me to principle seven. Engage me and you can make me and you can make me convince myself. Ask the wrong questions, get the wrong answers. Ask the right, right. questions, get smart answers. And obviously, when you start doing podcasts, and I've been doing this now 14 years, you become pretty proficient at asking good questions, right? You do. And, yeah, you do. And you you asked, uh, you say in principle number seven, it's about asking good questions. What would you tell the listeners out there right now that uh, they just get stymied when it comes to asking questions of their prospect? If you let's go back to the two examples that I use, the car sales guy and the real estate guy, mm-hmm. the car sales guy is going to ask what kind of car you're looking for. What, you know, what, why are you in here today? Instead of saying, tell me how you use your present car. That's number one. Number right. two, in a, in a real estate thing, the real estate guy is going to say, what kind of house are you looking for? What's your move date? Um, you know, what's your, what's your urgency? No, no. I'm going to ask, Tell me about the bedroom that you grew up in. I'm going to ask him, right. I'm going to ask emotional because when I, listen, when I ask you that question, it takes you right back to the bedroom that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. And your parents or your siblings or whatever the circumstance was, I can place you right in that room right now. And I want to know if that's the kind of bedroom you want for your kids. Yeah. If there's fond memories from that, right? Exactly. Right. And then I'm going to have a cup of coffee with you and then we're going to, then we're going to make friends. But if I take somebody on a home tour, I'm not going to walk in the closet and say, this is a walk-in closet. I'm going to turn to the woman and say, well, all your clothing fit in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't, I'm in the wrong house. (laughs) <laughs> that's right yep well those so are i'm gonna i'm gonna ask an emotional question the answer to which either qualifies you better or helps me understand you more that will lead me to a completed sale every one of those questions are obviously important questions to getting in on the emotional side of the prospect um you know, you use some examples in the book, uh, 7.5 questioning success strategies, ask mm-hmm. questions that qualify needs, you say, ask prospects right. questions that make him evaluate new information, ask questions about company or personal goals, um, and so on. So for my listeners, those, um, uh, those type of questions are kind of power questions, you call them, right? 
Correct. So, for example, if I'm going to ask a banker for a loan, mm -hmm. if the banker says, how much of a loan are you looking for? That doesn't tell me anything. If the banker would say, let's say you get approved for the loan, what are you going to do with the money once you get it? That tells me everything. Right. Right. So you're saying just shift the perspective of the question, really. And I think right. if they to look, the customer. Yeah. If they look a little deeper, that's what'll happen in that. And I, you know, the little red book of selling, like you said, there's no bullshit in that. It's just strictly basic principles that people need to understand, right? And that has not changed one word in 14 years. No, and it's not going to change because right, exactly. the, the, the content in it is timeless, just like the little gold book of Yes Attitude. You know, when you look Correct. at this book, you say that uh, the more you work on your attitude, the less vulnerable you become to the negative aspect of it. So, yep. So the, so the key here, Jeffrey, is if people wake up in the morning, you know, and they're a little down and it happens to everybody, a little depressed, things didn't go right the day before, uh, something happened. What recommendation do you have for them to wake up every day with a yes attitude? Well, first of all, you may not wake up with a yes attitude. You have to give it to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you walk in the bathroom in the morning. What's on your bathroom mirror? Most are people your goals on the bathroom mirror. Are your is there a greeting on the bathroom mirror that somebody loves you or that you love yourself? Those are things that will immediately start your day. Then you go to your space where you sit down and I, this is not in the gold book or the or the red book, but I'll give it to your listeners as a bonus. Okay. There's five things. There's five things I do every morning. I write. I read, I prepare, and that causes me to think and create. And I do it every day. Mm -hmm. I don't do all five every day, but I, I do at least two or three every day. And I've been doing that for 25 years. It's so I, I would agree with you on all of the above. And, and, and I do those as well because I get five or six books in here a week. So I literally, uh, go at reading the books and picking out questions and formulating them and understanding what's going on. And I think it's the mm -hmm. same for anyone. You know, if you're a continual learner, just the term continual learner, which is, you know, you've been involved with Don Green and Napoleon Hill. It's all about it continuing to improve yourself, self-improvement. And you have this little attitude test in the book, with lots of questions about, I'm going to say they're behavioral questions because they are. Well, what yeah, they're also thinking quite, they're thinking questions are, how is your mind focused right now? Are you happy or are you sad? Mm -hmm. you so know, what, it's, what it's, things would you tell to our listeners that they need to do and in removing the negative self-talk? I mean, that is probably the biggest one, Jeff, is we, we talk to ourselves negatively and the reality is 90% of the stuff never happens. 99% of it never happens. Yeah, that's true. So read first, you know, I don't want to be self-indulgent, but buy the gold book. Right. And start and read a few pages every day. Buy an Earl Nightingale book, a Napoleon Hill book, a Dale Carnegie book, a Norman Vincent Peale book. Anybody from any of the authors of self-help 
books, Wayne Dyer, and let, let him or her tell you that you become what you think about, which is Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret written in the late 60s. But well, your, your, first quote, late 50s, your first quote in black on the book is you become what you think about all day, Earl Nightingale. Then you've got right. your quote. It's your thoughts behind your words that speak, that create your attitude. That's you. You know, so, you know, I'm looking at the book right now and I'm saying there isn't one thing in here that anybody would would pick up that couldn't shift right. their mindset, right? Okay, but let me look at, let's look at it this way. Sometimes you create your own attitude in the morning by the way you went to bed at night. Okay. And so I give you I give you a clue in the gold book by telling you to write everything that's on your mind down before you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Everything. Get out, do the brain drain. Right. So yep. you go to sleep clear. Right. You don't have to remember anything because it's all down on you know, in your smartphone or on a piece of paper or on your tablet or in your on your, you know, your Chromebook, whatever you got. And when you wake up in the morning, you can review that to make sure you got everything down there. And then you can start to work on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is if all of that is not down, you're going to begin to create distractions for yourself. Correct. And those distractions will take you off your track, off your thought process. Right. And it's so true. I mean, what, what basically Jeffrey is saying for the listeners that are still with us that, you know, if you write these things down, I remember going to David Allen's workshop and getting things done, right? And David mm -hmm. would always have a picture of a brain on a page. And he'd say, write everything down that's on your mind. He says, the ram of our mind does have limitations. And the reality is, if you put too much in there, you can't be creative, just like you were talking about. So what happens is all the stuff gets jammed up in there and our memory goes we, we our memory chip is full we don't have any more room for anything else and you've got to make room and what jeffrey's saying is write it all down get it out because it's the best thing you can do to clear your mind the night before so you wake up the next morning and you're ready to rock and roll right yep you're so, going to actually give yourself ideas because your mind is clear Agreed. And you just recommended some reading for people, but you know, in your book, you recommend reading four books for attitude awareness. And I'm sure you know which ones they are. What are the books and why are they important to developing better attitude? And well, I'm just going to, I'll give you the main, I'll give you the main book. Yeah. Everyone has a copy of Think and Grow Rich. Most everybody people. does. <laughs> well, if they don't, but the problem is they may not have read it for 10 years. Correct. So, so go read it. And when I wrote the little gold book, I had not yet completed Truthful Living, which is a book that was uh, compiled essays of Napoleon Hill 20 years before Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a gem. Go get that. Um, and you have to get the, the um, Dale Carnegie books of How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's, and how to stop worrying and start living. Those are those are benchmark business books and positive thought books. Just do that. Definitely. I totally yeah, agree just, with you. Also, I'd I'd put in there that um uh 
Norman Vincent Peale stuff. Yeah, it's a little. The reason I don't mention that all the time is that it's it's religious based. It is, and and you know, guy uh, Arson Sweat Martin started with religion. Uh, He used it very effectively, but some people it turns off. And yeah, you know, you I I think that I I agree with you, and I'll say one thing to that. When I had a CD player in my car. And I drove around doing sales and I was in insurance sales and I was million dollar round table. I would listen to uh, Norman Vincent Peale um, extensively because it helped me stay up during the day, just how inspirational he spoke. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I will tell you anything you have to listen to, whether it's my podcast or it's Jeffrey or whatever it is, instead of turning on the news and the radio, I turn on my own podcast in my own car. That's what I listen to. Um, and the reason I listen to him is because you don't always get it the first go around. It takes once, twice, true. three times, right? So repeat, true. repeat, repeat, and just keep repeating until you figure it out because it's going to stir something inside of you. What are some of the attitude actions one can make part of their day? You talk about attitude actions. Yeah, the first thing you have to do is expose yourself to positive things and positive people. Mm -hmm. There's no sense in you going to work and you walk by negative Nelly every day and say hello, and he or she grumbles back at you some bullshit about what went wrong yesterday. Mm -hmm. You have to have positive people to interact with to reinforce your own beliefs. So if you read something positive and you write something positive, and you interact with a couple of people that are positive, you're on the right track first thing in the morning. Great advice. Now, you state that we should take time to write our philosophy and revisit it often. Now, you call it philosophy. Some people might call it their mantras. They might call it their intentions, whatever it is. So what is your philosophy? Why is it important to developing a yes attitude? Well, if you don't have a, a, Jim Rohn said, philosophy drives attitude, attitude drives actions, actions drive results, results drive lifestyles. So if you don't like your lifestyle, you got to go back and look at your results. And if you don't like your results, you got to go back and look at your actions. And if you don't like your actions, you got to go back and look at your attitude. And if you don't like your attitude, you got to go back and look at your philosophy because your philosophy drives it. Your philosophy and your belief system drives your attitude. So I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, how do I conduct myself? How do I feel like I have to live my life in order to be able to feel good about who I am and take the actions that I need to take to become better? You don't just have a philosophy. You live a philosophy. And my philosophy is very simple. I give value first. I help other people. I strive to be my best at what I love to do. I establish long-term relationships with everybody and I have fun and I do that every day. Now think about how simple that is. I've added to it over the years. Um, but the bottom line is my, I have five core principles and I live by them. What do you live by? What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? So that- I, I learned the importance of philosophy from Jim Rohn and from Ayn Rand. <laughs> you know, she, her book is Philosophy Who Needs It. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm familiar with her. Yeah. So you you look at the you look at the whole philosophy thing from the perspective of have your own. Yeah. The smartest guys in the world were philosophers. Think about that. Well, yeah, Aristotle, many of them, Socrates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's actually I use the Cicero quote. There's a Socrates cafe that people can start going to, to start getting them to think critical thinking skills are really so valuable today. You know, and I learned a lot. Uh, I know it may sound a little weird, but I actually got in touch uh, very early on with Alan Watts. And for all of you out there who are interested in really pushing your mind a bit, go to some of the Alan Watts videos that are on YouTube. And uh, you can't tell me that won't stimulate your your thinking. Um, so do you know Alan Watts? Not personally. Oh, do you know of his, any of his work? Sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, an old crazy alcoholic philosopher. <laughs> and he was crazy, but he really got you to think, Hey, I would say, uh, Jeffrey, if there's one thing you'd like to leave our listeners with today in the way of just, uh, your, uh, your idioms, your philosophy about selling, about how to organize their life, about how to stay positive. Uh, what would you want to tell them? I mean, we've talked about a lot of things this morning uh, in yeah. the last 45 minutes, but, you know, try and uh, put a ribbon around it, distill it. Okay. Um, and tell them what you think would be the best actions they could take as a result of listening to this podcast. I would say, and this is just for me personally, just because of my my circumstance, my age, guard your time. Don't go home at night and have to drink a beer and watch Netflix when you can go home and read a book and write something. Put yourself in a position where you invest your time, not spend your time. And if you do that, your results are going to increase significantly. And if you don't do that, you're going to be complaining about the fact that the world isn't fair to you. Again, it's going, back to being, it's going back to being a continual learner, spending your time yeah. uh, diving into books you want to read, people you want to listen to, podcasts you want to listen to, TED Talks you want to listen to. Um, you don't actually have to read anymore. All you got to do is listen. Um, the reality is I know how much people today just they don't want to read but they will listen to stuff or they will watch things as long as it's educational um i think that that's important any other philosophies uh yeah stay out of new jersey that's a good one <laughs> stay uh, out of new jersey that is a good one i agree with you on that one but and, i think you're going to get more philosophies when you talk to jen um sure i think it's it's almost her turn right yes it is and i'm gonna let you go uh jeffrey and i appreciate you being on inside personal growth and imparting some of your wisdom we're gonna put links to all these books on amazon the little cool. gold book of yes um the sales manifesto and the little red book of selling for jeffrey and next you on our lineup is uh his significant other uh, Jennifer, is it Glockow? Am I saying that Glockow, right? Yeah. Glockow. Um, let me, let me throw this at you too. We, you know, our podcast sell or die. Um, we're only at a hundred thousand downloads a month, but you should stick it up there so people can listen to it. Cause it's pretty damn good. 
It's we funny will as certainly, hell. Oh, we'll put a link on that for certain. We cool. will. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being right, on, Jeffrey. No, it's a damn pleasure. And I'll talk to you again soon. This podcast is brought to you by Michelle Despreze, the author of a new book entitled Intuitively You, Evolve Your Life and Mend the World. Please listen to podcast number 718, where Michelle and Greg discuss how to develop your intuition, and in doing so, use this valuable insight to help you make better decisions in all areas of your life. We all have an intuition. The key is learning how to tune into this powerful awareness available to everyone. Please join Michelle and Greg on podcast number 718, where you will learn to access your intuition and use it for your benefit. If you want to learn more about Michelle and her new book, Intuitively You, please visit her website by going to www.michelledespreze.com. Thanks for listening.